Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, Playmakers, what's going on? Hi, friends, welcome back. My name's Ashley. And I'm Brittany, and we are More Than a Season podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. We know that there's a ton of choices and we love hanging out with y'all. So thanks for choosing to come back. And if you're new, welcome. Welcome. And to our OGs, you know that we love you and we appreciate you being here. Again, if you could pause right here and follow, just click that little plus button next to our name and give us a review. We told you guys all last week, if you didn't listen, go back to that episode and listen to the beginning of our intro. But we had a little bit of a crazy week last week Mm -hmm. and so we would appreciate every review that you could give us to kind of get us back to where we were yeah and thanks so much for doing that if you did already do that so we appreciate it and you know we want to ask y'all as a favor if not everyone on your team is a part of more than a season community just put it out there because we know that everyone is searching to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves so if not everyone on your team that you're associated with is not a part of the community give them a little shout and send them our way because we love to have the more the merrier of the people yes we love to get to know every single one of you and we appreciate you for being here I feel so out of it, so I'm sorry. I am recovering from the weekend. I'm like, I had a wedding this weekend, and so I'm – those are just such long days. They are. Especially I was in the wedding, and I felt like it was just such a long, long weekend. It was so beautiful but so long, and so I'm like still kind of recovering from – all of the craziness. Yeah. What time was hair and makeup? Because I've been a part of some weddings where it's like 8 a.m. start time and it's it's a long day. <laughs> yeah. It was 9 a.m. But we got up early. We like walked to get coffee, my friend and I. And then like we were like, oh, crap, like we need to be there soon. So we like drove over. We got there at 9 a.m. And we were like some of the first people to get our hair and makeup done. And we were laughing because, you know, when you get your makeup done, it's like not exactly obviously what you do normally. Yeah. But we were looking at our makeup and we're like, okay, it's very matte, very mm-hmm. matte. But at the end of the night, the wedding ended at 11 p.m. Our makeup looked exactly the same. Oh, wow. And we started at basically 930. That's crazy. So, I want yeah. what they're using. I know. We were like, dang, like that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Wind, no, sweat, cool. it was still there. So yeah. there you go. I um I always get really nervous about my hair because I when I was part of my best friend's wedding in October the girl that did my hair I literally looked like Shirley Temple it was like my worst nightmare and with the amount of hairspray and stuff I just get so nervous when it comes to hair because I'm like you can't fix it like once it's curled no. and done you're done like that's yeah. it for you <laughs> well we had it was a beach wedding so the night before for the rehearsal I had curled my hair it was completely stick straight by the rehearsal time so I had told the people like that story I'm like you know normally my hair holds really good curl but uh curl it extra today so I really did look like a poodle for a little bit but I was like (laughs) by the time I went outside and we did pictures and everything it was like the perfect you know curliness because it had fallen and stuff so it's just so interesting wedding hair and makeup and all of the stuff that goes into it is It's a production. Yeah, it is a production. And I just want to throw out the side fact that the wedding that you were at is your not only your best friend, but her brother introduced you to Drew. So it's like a Mm -hmm. long, a long, a long journey (laughs) from that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. 
Yeah, it's so funny. Like I had to do a speech too, which I told you guys if you follow us on Instagram, which I was so nervous about because that's just not my... I can speak like this, which is very casual, Mm -hmm. but I feel like in front of a bunch of people and trying to like... I I just kind of black out. So I did well, I think. But then it kind of (laughs) opened up to an open mic. Oh my gosh. Was it fun? boys from the... Drunk boys from the groom side of things. Everyone was like, oh, no, what did we get ourselves into? They were just like repeating, like going in circles of like the same thing. We're like, we, you just told us how you met him. They were oh. like, and I met him. I'm like, yep, we know. You're like, wrap we this up. We can reset your story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were at a wedding one time and this is my last story I share, but it's too good not to share as we were at a wedding one time for Carson's like best best guy friends growing up and one of the groomsmen he still gets like crap for it today he included a story in his speech that not only did his wife like now wife not know the groom's wife didn't know the story (laughs) and neither did the parents and they like got in trouble and they actually like they didn't get like arrested or anything but the police like came and got them it was something silly that they had done and oh my it was like gosh. a noise complaint or something so the wife has never heard this story and so everyone is just hearing it for the first time and the groom is like hey okay like cut it off like you can tell he's like stop and so it was so uncomfortable and yeah you just can't trust the groomsmen with the mic can't do it no you can't <laughs> like I thought I was so it was only supposed to be me and one other guy that were doing speeches and he seemed totally fine and then he got up there and it was like he just blacked out and was like so drunk he couldn't he couldn't finish his speech he was like um and then just standing there and everyone's like okay like what's going on so then his other friend comes over because then he starts to do a prayer so he comes over and he's like trying to a drunk prayer. I'm like, okay. And then he's trying to finish the prayer. Like, all he has to really say is amen. amen. Right? Like, we're, we're, we're about there. We're at the end. And so his friend comes over next to him and he's like, all right, buddy. Like, puts his hand on his shoulder and he's like, all right. And, you know, thank you so much, Lord. Like, amen. And then kind of, like, pushes him out of the way. And, like, for me. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, here we go. I thought he was, like, <laughs> trying to help him out. But really, he just wanted the spotlight. He it was like. It. Oh my gosh. So that was fun. That was a fun part of the wedding. I always love weddings. They're just so, they're just so fun. fun. It's always happy. Everything's happy, which is awesome. And you're starting your venue search. You're headed to Texas, which I'm so excited for you because it's awesome. I know my mom and I are, well, currently while you guys are listening to this, we are in Texas (laughs) looking at venues and we are either going to get married in California or Texas. And if you've Mm -hmm. planned a wedding, Already, you know how crazy it is with the sports industry timeline in Texas in July is not the um, most fun. I think for people that are from Texas, they're like, okay, like it is what it is, right? Like you live there, obviously. But for everyone from California, they're like, oh my God, no, don't make us go to Texas in July. (laughs) So we'll see. I know. It is funny. I think everyone that's in the football industry anyway, they all have very similar anniversaries. So I think it'll be interesting with if you pick July, like what date, (laughs) how many people you line up with. So that'll be really cool. And then so venue searching, you'll have to keep us updated. And then I went to a baby shower this past weekend for one of the football wives. And it's really cool story. I won't share too many details because I'll let her tell her story on a future episode. But she just adopted a baby boy and it was absolutely beautiful story to share. And it was so cool because you don't realize what you have to go through to adopt a child. Yeah, it's crazy. I think we learned a lot too with this episode that y'all are about to listen to because 
it's just so wild you think like oh you just go and you like adopt a baby and you like sign some paperwork at least I thought that like Mm -hmm. watching all the movies and tv shows growing up I feel like that's what they portrayed as adoption right like you you go to this house and you're like adopting a child and you basically fill out the paperwork and you take the kid but I think that there's so much more that goes into it and obviously like there's the stories of the kids that you're adopting Mm -hmm. and so I know that you were saying that it was a really powerful story yeah I think her story is beautiful and the and the story that y'all are about to hear is focused around fostering with Tori Schlesinger and her husband is the head basketball coach at New Orleans University so kind of close to us a little bit of a neighbor here neighboring Mm -hmm. state but it was really neat to hear her background and her love for fostering children. So not only does she now teach courses at a church and partnering organizations to help others start their fostering process, but she fostered and then ended up adopting uh, children of her own. So her heart is amazing. Her story is just, you can tell just how much she loves children and wants to put them before anything else to make sure that their needs are met. So y'all will not be disappointed by what she has to say. I think it's really cool, too, because she talks about adopting children and fostering children within the sports industry, which I know a lot of y'all have asked us about and have kind of inquired about. So if you're interested in that, definitely take a listen and listen all the way through because she provides her information and some extra tips for you. So we will see you on the other side. We are so excited to have a special guest today. Yes, this is a topic that we have been wanting to talk about for a long time, and we finally found a guest that's going to be talking to us all about fostering kids. And I know that that's an important topic, especially in the sports industry. So we're going to toss it on over to her and let her introduce herself. Hi, my name is Tony Schlesinger. I live in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm originally from North Carolina, but I've been in Louisiana for 15, 16 years now. So it's been a while. My husband is the head men's basketball coach at the University of New Orleans. It's a division one program, urban setting. With our program, we have three kids. They are 10-year-old son, eight-year-old daughter, and then a three-year-old son. So we have two sons and one girl, not to mention the boys on the team, the young men. I should call them young men. Yes. <laughs> We just appreciate you coming on and we are excited to dive into the topic of raising kiddos and foster care and that entire process. But tell us a little bit about your basketball journey, because when I hear 15 years, I hear some advice and some stories coming along. So just tell us how you met your significant other and how you ended up in this lifestyle. So I met my husband at baggage carousel number three at the New Orleans International Airport in July 2005. He was an assistant coach at a university in North Louisiana. I was living in um, Florida. I moved there after college, had a job. My mom had a teacher's conference in New Orleans and I said, hey, let me go fly. Meet her. I just had to pay for my plane tickets. She'll pay for my meals. I'm staying (laughs) in her, her hotel. Very economical trip. He was coming back from Orlando recruiting. July is a busy month for college coaches with recruiting. And he just randomly hit on me at the carousel. We were waiting for our bags. It was a random thing. I'm like, who is this man talking to me? Then I realized I think he's hitting on me. My husband is white. I am black. I've never really been hit on by a white guy before. And (laughs) he gave me his number. He's like, hey, I'll be in the city. 
give me a call if you wanted to do breakfast tomorrow morning. I was checking out, getting a shuttle to go downtown. So mom was already here. She'd been here a day or two. And he said, it was a pleasure to meet you. And he said, miss, and my maiden name, what was my maiden name then? And I was like, oh, you remember my name? And he says he knew he got me <laughs> at that point based on my reaction. So by the time I got to the hotel, I convinced myself to call him. And we went on four hour breakfast date wow. the next morning. He had to leave by a certain time because he had to go to Dallas for some recruiting games there. But that was late July 05. We did long distance until late March. So that's when I moved to his town in North Louisiana. And then we got married in September of 06. Wow. He had been a college coach before I met him 10 years Around that time, he got in to be like a student assistant when he was in undergrad, went to college outside of Chicago, and then he was at my college in Michigan and then a junior college in Northern Arizona, and then he ended up in Louisiana. So he had been there five years when I met him, and then we lived there another six before he got the head coach job here in New Orleans. And he actually got this job intending it to be a division two job because they were moving down from the effects of Katrina still from division one to D2 new president came in and was like, no, we're keeping it D1. So that's it. He's lucky he kept, kept his job. Yeah. Oftentimes during that transition, they like to change coaches to prepare for the D1 level. And yeah, so we've been here been here for 10 years now in New Orleans, which we love. We love the city. We, yeah, we have a great time living here. What a story. I'm just like in awe of like, (laughs) when you said baggage carousel number three, like you knew the exact number you were like all ready for that. What a serendipitous moment. I I feel like, like just perfect (laughs) right time, right moment. And you were like, yeah, let's go for it. Did you know like what you were getting into at the time? Like when you like found out he was a basketball coach, did you know like anything about the industry? No, not at all. I thought he was lying to me because he had like a championship ring on. Uh In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you must have won the big NCAA tournament to get that. Not knowing that if they even smaller level conference championships, they can get the ring and things. But no, but during our dating, um, one of our dates, I met him in Houston and we met up with good friends of his, a couple where the husband was coaching at the time. And they had been married for probably three or four years. So she did a good job of kind of giving me an overview of, of what to expect. Thankfully, I like basketball. I grew up liking basketball. That was one sport I really enjoyed watching, especially college basketball. It also helps that I am fairly independent, especially yeah. before we had kids. Now, when he's gone five, six days, I'm like, okay, this is way too long. I'm ready for you to come home. <laughs> yeah. But when he has just a quick overnight trip or two day trip, I'm fine. Watch what I want to watch. Yeah. Lounging on the couch, yep. you know, eating yep. cereal for dinner, that type of thing. <laughs> oh, we get that. We for sure get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like my shows, my food, my choice. Yep, mm-hmm. I get it. Yes. Totally get it. I think that the time by yourself is just you're. It's just like a certain amount of time, and you're like, I'm kind of over it at this yeah. point when it gets a little too far. And I know that you and I had talked a little bit on Instagram. I loved, loved what you said um, in our conversation, and I'm going to share it that you said that the lifestyle is not for everyone and that you also said that you tell people the pros and the cons of what to expect yes and so Mm kind of share with me a little bit about what the pros are that first popped to mind I know there's a lot (laughs) I've had a couple times where friends have referred a friend of theirs to me because they were dating a coach at a variety of levels high school and college and 
like some of the pros I would say I've got to, I've been able to go to some neat places with him, especially before kids came into the picture traveling here and there. He made the NCAA tournament in 2017. So that was, you know, really exciting. Some of the cons and he hasn't coached at a high, high level, you know, like not at a power five conference, but even at our level, like I've learned to not check the message boards mm-hmm. just because you don't want to see people talking not nice about your spouse. The person you think is, you know, one of the greatest things that's ever happened. Other cons can be, this is for people. If you think you're going to move a lot, yeah. you know, as far as establishing a community, we've been lucky that the five years I lived um, in the other town with him, we had a great group of friends that helped that he knew people because he had already been there for five years. So the community really embraced us here. It's been a little harder because people kind of do their own thing in New Orleans, but I've been able to find community. It took, took a while, mm-hmm. but I've been able to really find my own. And I tell people to just make sure you have your own hobbies because they're not going to be around. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. be afraid to go to places by yourself. Um, a movie is coming out. You want to see, go see that movie because he's going to, it's in the middle of basketball season. He doesn't have time to go <laughs> see yeah a movie or go out with your friends, those type of things. So yeah, it's just, I haven't experienced a ton of cons, knock on wood, (laughs) that I can say just the job can be stressful. Yeah, it is one. And I've seen it with other bigger name coaches. My husband's from Bloomington, Indiana, which is IU, Indiana University. They're huge on basketball. And a coach they had a few years ago, his kid was also at the university and he hadn't had much success. And I remember being in Indiana and the family saying, yeah, they've heard that the student's really hard on his daughter. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why? You know, she has nothing to do with what her dad does. So yeah. like, I keep those things in my mind. So as my kids get older and if he's ever in a position where his name does come up a lot yeah. to be prepared, to be prepared for that. Yeah, that's good. I feel like with that, you mentioned like not looking at message boards and not looking at those those places that people could be talking poorly about your husband. I think with being a head coach's wife too, you have even more stress because you know, a lot of that blame, no matter where it's from, it comes back on him. It could be on the smallest thing and it ends up being his fault. So what, how has that been like for you being able to balance being the head coach's wife and being that person where kind of all the blame ends up or all the success and the Mm -hmm. excitement ends up as well. It's like such a stressful place to be. Mm -hmm. I try to stay positive for him and listen to him vent about different things going on or him saying, you know, these people just don't understand what we're going up against as to why they may not have had success at a certain time. Um, There's just things that unless you're involved in the program, it's just not something you're going to be aware of that is going on behind the scenes that's beyond their control. So I try to, to not read it. I don't read comments like on news articles and different things. I made the mistake once and I got mad and I'm like, I don't know this person. (laughs) Don't waste this energy. They don't know my husband. So you kind of have to block out the negative energy if you can, if possible. Where they play is a 10,000 seat arena. It was the city's first arena before they built another one where it's like the NBA team plays. Mm -hmm. But because of that, the arena is never full. So I'm able to sit off to myself where I'm not, where most of the fans are sitting, which is closer to the bench. So I don't have to hear anyone Mm -hmm. say anything, thankfully. So that really does help my peace of mind and probably my sanity to some extent (laughs) to not have to hear, to hear that. I know many wives are not that fortunate as far as where they're 
husbands play or where they have to sit. You know, I know there are some assigned seatings we can just sit anywhere. Right. No, that's nice. I think that having that ability and the choice to be like, you know what, I'm not going to let that bad energy come in here. I'm just going to remove myself from it. Love that. So I want to talk about the kiddos because Mm -hmm. this is one of the most requested topics that (laughs) we have had is just the interest with foster care. And I do want to just say that with our community, there are a lot of people that have struggled with infertility and they're looking at other options. And with the sports industry, it makes it hard because you're trying to figure out how to start a family, but also what are we supposed to do if we're about to possibly move again? Like we're not able to start our family the traditional way. Um, Mm -hmm. and we're looking into other options. So can you talk about a little bit, how did you even get started foster care? And then just share a little bit of your experience so far with being a foster parent? We got into foster care because of infertility. I was never able to get pregnant. We tried for years. I even had a surgery because I had fibroids. And we thought, okay, maybe this is why I needed to get them removed either way if I wanted biological kids or not because they were causing serious health issues. Had the surgery, tubes looked great, but still nothing. (laughs) I joked that my eggs were trash. They were old. (laughs) (laughs) because even before I turned 40, I was already starting to show menopause symptoms. So I think my eggs were much older than they really were. This probably could be why we didn't. So infertility led us to there. And even when we were dating, we had talked about, we would love to adopt one day. And in a way, and it took me a while to get here. I thank God for my infertility because I, I don't know if I would have my kids because yeah. it's easy to get in a routine. Oh, we have our, you know, our bio kids. Why disrupt this flow by adding more children mm-hmm. into it? And I can't say for sure that we would have still gone this route had I been able to get pregnant and have, have a child that way. So when we moved here in 2011, in January, 2012, we started the classes in Louisiana, foster care is completely ran by the state. So there's one office with different regions in the state. I know some states use agencies like private agencies or nonprofits to handle it. But in Louisiana, it's it's ran by that. We had, they offer classes and they still do it this way, but virtually where you can meet your hours by going so many Saturdays in a row or weeknights, like every Tuesday for eight weeks, for an example. So we did the Saturday because this schedule, ironically, it was meant by God. It fit because it was even during basketball season, we were able to do it. He had to miss one because he had a game or he had to leave early. We did the process. We started in January. And while you're taking the classes, you're starting to fill out paperwork so they can do background checks. Employment checks because you have to have some type of income coming in. I'm trying to think of what else. You had to do physicals. Oh, and they have to visit your home. I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there is that all-important home visit where they check out. You have to have the space ready. Okay, this is where when we get a placement, this is where they will, will sleep. This is their closet. We've already put locks in the cabinets. We always did the ages of zero to two. So we had to make sure our house was childproof for that age. And then you just kind of wait for a call. We went on a trip to Indiana to go see his family. And as soon as we get out of the car, because because we drove up, we get a call. Hey, this is Miss So-and-so from DCFS, Department of Children and Family Services. We have a placement for you. Oh, we're in Indiana. I didn't know we were even certified. We'll be back. (laughs) next week so when we got back we got a call so that was our first placement it was a six-month-old girl so we got her in July I think it was right after 4th of July of 2012 and then she left to go back to her parents in the following June so June of 2013 
And by then we had been placed with who is now my oldest and my daughter. So we had gotten them in April and May of that year as well. So we had a few weeks of three kids who were 18 months and younger. Wow. So it was, it was oh my God. Because, because that first child and my son were only three months apart, I think. So they were very close in age. So she left, went back with her parents, which is always hard. That's the hardest part of foster care is, you know, giving the child back, even when you know it's a good situation and going back to is still, it's still hard, but that's the risk you have to take, you know, your heartbreak of that child leaving could make or break that child's life because they need to know attachment. They need to know a healthy environment. So let us take the strike as adults. So this child Mm -hmm. can know what it means to be in a loving home and have that sense of attachment to the parents. We adopted both of our kids, those two in 2014. So situations just worked out where the time ran out for the the family and we were able to adopt them. And then we had periods of times where we would go months without a placement and then we would have a placement for several months. Um, and then they would go back, whether it's to that, the parent they were living with or another parent or family member. And each year as you're doing this, you have to make sure you have like continuing education hours so many hours of them you have to have completed by a certain day everyone in your house has to get a physical so eventually the kids had to get we had to get their physical form signed and they got physicals anyway you know so there's just small steps that you go through for the recertification and then we decided to transition out of it in 2020 i think june was usually the time of the year where we had to have all of our hours completed and had conversations with my husband like I'm tired. We had a period of time where we had four kids. We got our our youngest in November 2018, and we had already had a child that turned two with us. So having four kids, I still work full time outside of the home. He's busy, and it was just really, really hard. And I'm like, I'm not my best me with four Mm -hmm. kids. Maybe it'll be different if they were, you know, much older. But now this is not good. So I prayed on it. And I had been involved with an organization locally that supports foster families. They provide training to help deal with kids and trauma. It's called Trust-Based Relational Intervention or TBRI. They offer classes in that, help you with that. And they had reached out to me, maybe it was 2019, about if I wanted to help them recruit potential foster parents. So occasionally I would go with them. It's a faith-based organization. So I would go with them to churches and speak to groups, particularly trying to get more Black families involved Mm -hmm. in foster care through this organization. Mm -hmm. And then when the pandemic hit later in 2020, I think, or early 2021, they also approached me. They got the contract to teach the required class for potential foster parents. So they got the contract to teach that and they were looking for trainers and thought of me. So I had to go through a workshop with them and I was very thankful because I could still, I'm still helping kids and Mm -hmm. families in care, but doing it on a different side. Yeah. In Louisiana now, the classes are still virtual, at least through, I think the rest of this year, if I'm not mistaken, we'll see if they go back to in-person, but it's helpful at least with the virtual because it's, people from all over the state mm-hmm. and Louisiana is very, is very rural pockets. Cause even where we lived before, if we had wanted to do foster care, we would have had to travel an hour one way to go to foster classes. Cause that's where they would be held for right. our region. Right. But with them being virtually people can be in their home, you know, they ask you to be engaged and not distracted. So it's really fun to see that and go through the process and the participants have 
show their appreciation both by telling me and also when they do the surveys, how they appreciate that I have firsthand experience because I'll tell them, you know, I had this and I'm honest with them because now the the state didn't do this this much when we first started in 2012, but now they definitely push that reunification is the goal because the goal Mm -hmm. is that these kids are going to be reunified with their family, whether it's with their parents or another relative in their family. And I'm honest with them, you know, we only went into this hoping to adopt and then we realized, okay, there's a bigger bigger purpose here because I don't want them to be me yeah. <laughs> in 2012 yeah. only going into it with this purpose because we want these kids with their families we're happy and thankful that we have our kids but there still is a tragedy around them coming to our home right and I try to make sure that the families are aware of this not everything is is roses and rainbows and, <laughs> and happy 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 yeah. times but I do enjoy doing that now because I will start teaching a class I think in April it's my next eight week session I can't do it during the season <laughs> because <Yeah>. my <laughs> kids have activities and then my husband is gone but in April and May he's around so he can occupy them <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have so many questions I'm like trying to think about which direction I want to go to first but I want to talk about the classes and kind of what you're teaching like what are you specifically telling these people and what did you guys have to go through the classes cover topics such as the organization and the like the organization of how it works so okay. DCFS is here you have this type of social worker that does this, this type of social worker that does that. These are the local organizations that will be involved, such as there are attorneys that represent DCFS. The child has their own attorney, along with the parents can have an attorney as well. Judges, as far as the parish, because in Louisiana, we have parishes, not counties. Mm-hmm. So that your parish judge and what their responsibility is. We have CASA, which is court appointed special advocates. So every child is assigned a CASA worker. It's a volunteer position. So that person is involved and gives their their judgment to the judge of what should happen. And then depending on where you are in the state, at least in New Orleans, if the child is of a certain age, they and the family will have to do some type of therapy. So there's the university here that has a med program. So there are psychiatrists that meet with the kids. I've only had to do it some with my first placement. And then we had a placement later who went back to family where I had to do some work with them, with them there. So you learn that, that aspect. You also learn about the trust-based relational intervention training that I mentioned earlier. We give them one night is completely going over that where we have a type of videos that we show them. The videos show kind of examples of how it works. It's a program out of Texas Christian University. So they have videos that they've created. We show them that. We talk about being support for the family, being an advocate for them, being a parent role model for them, because it goes back to that big reunification goal. And we also help them learn it's not going to be easy to do this because they're just, it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy. So we try to help them at least have a foundation of tools to use when they do get a placement and they do have to, whether it's help with visits, eventually, eventually visits will happen in a supervised setting, usually in the DCFS office. And then at a certain point, it could be on the foster parent and the parent to arrange visits if people feel comfortable. Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea that all this basically went into it because you think about it though you're like oh people just foster children you don't really I mean I've never asked someone that (laughs) has fostered anyone what goes into it it's an incredible process because 
I mean, for anyone that is interested in this, I mean, just to know the legwork, like on the back end of what you need to do to be prepared. And that it kind of leads into my next question, because when you have this placement come into your home, as you being the foster parent, I know that you have to have a room ready in a space, but what do you do to make the kid feel at home? Well, the age group we had, they were getting zero to two, or really zero to one when they came to us. We just let them explore. Mm-hmm. We have toys that are set up and they can go play with them. Foster parent friends who have older kids, they may take them out to a burger place because what kid doesn't love burgers? <laughs> That's usually a safe meal for them. Show them their rooms, show them their bed, show them, you know, the bathroom. You can also show them where snacks are. A lot of kids coming into care, even the age group that I had, you see food insecurity with mm. them. So it's very helpful, particularly for the ones who are old enough to know what food is, that they know that they have snacks they can get yeah. within reason, but they have that available. Also, they recommend to show them things that could be noisy, such as if you have like a robot vacuum Mm. that may may go off to show them that if you have pets to let them see the pet and how to handle the pet, too, Mm -hmm. because they may come from a home where they've never had a dog or a cat. Mm -hmm. Right. You show them that. And there is a part of the certification. If you do have a pet, you have to show that they've been immunized and things. Those are the main things, depending on the age. And if a parent works outside of the home or not, they'll likely go to a daycare or to a school. Here, they try to keep them in the school they came from, unless geographically it's not possible because, mm-hmm. you know, our region does cover quite a few miles. So they may have to move to a school closer, closer to you. And depending on when they come, you may be able to just drive them by. The school, this is where you're going to go to school so they can know what to expect. I've learned with kids, even at young ages, that they likely came from a place without structure. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, my husband and I are pretty, pretty routine people. So we've always kept that with our kids. You know, this is snack time. This is play time. We're going to go outside now. The weather's nice. Now it's dinner time. We taught also our kids how to say more in sign language and please. So they're not screaming because again, that food insecurity issue that goes into that. Yeah. So, yeah. So different things like that. And I mean, it can, it can take an adjustment. We tell the parents, the potential foster parents, there will likely be a honeymoon period where everything is is great. And then, you know, things may start to not fall apart, but you may actually see things that are going on or behaviors. We have to kind of play investigator to see what the child tells you. We also help train them in how to handle the conversations if a child reveals any type of abuse that they've experienced and how to handle that, what to do next. So that can be dealt with and and even investigated depending on what, what the abuse is if no one knew about it. Wow. I feel like there's just so many things that go into it, like Ashley had mentioned, and you just you're such an amazing person. I can already tell just from talking to you for this short while because well, thank you. You just you carry yourself so well, and I just feel like you would create such a welcoming home for these children. And I'm sure that's tough. You know, it's kind of their in between period. Hopefully, they're reconnecting with their family. Mm-hmm. Do you have a struggle with your kids when you had these other kids in your home, and now they're going back to their houses, and your kids kind of like wondering? what's going on? Like, how do you handle that period? I made the mistake one time. I forget why my daughter was home. I don't know if she was sick or what, but she was not at daycare. So she was maybe four. And we tell them 
that we're just here to help keep them safe. Mm -hmm. We hope that they can go back to their family and we make sure we emphasize that. Like, we don't know how long they will be with us. And we knew this girl was leaving to go live with family. My daughter was home when the social worker came and took her away and she noticed something was going on and we had told them, you know, she's going to go live with her family. Mm -hmm. But I think she was alarmed because we were handing, you know, over all this stuff. It wasn't just the diaper bag. It was the diaper bag and bag of clothes and a bag of this and a bag of that. And she was really upset with that. Like, Mm -hmm. don't take my baby. I remember her saying that. Mm -hmm. So we made sure for other placements since then that when the child actually leaves, like we'll tell them, you know, this is our last night, but we make sure that the kids are not there when it happens because of her reaction. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. No, that does make sense. And with that, I know that attachment can happen with foster parents when you have this child in your home and you know that it's what's best. But have you had a period of time where you had a placement that for some reason you just felt really attached to and it was really difficult to give them back to the family? Or was it always in the back of your mind that I know that this is part of the process uh, to return this child to their family? I feel like that would be really tough because you invest so much time and when you have a loving personality it would be a natural like nurturing thing to do I think everybody should go through that mm-hmm. even with placements I've had that were difficult yeah to say the least where I, I got to a point I think this child may need more than what we can handle we still missed the child when when they left our very first placement leaving was probably the hardest because it was our first placement right the situation she came into care it was and again you'll see these situations. If you foster long enough, you're like, how can this happen? How can no one be held accountable? How can they go back? Yeah. You know, it's just that type of thing. And then our very last placement that went back was hard also, but again, but with that one, his father was the one who was coming to get him. He was very excited. The mom had kind of shut him out at a certain point. So he hadn't been around the child as of late. So he was, he was excited. He was scared. I can tell Yeah, because I mean, we're scared when we get a placement (laughs) anyway. So he stands out. That was the child that had special needs. He was difficult in his own way, but he was adorable. He was lovable. He had this laugh. We had these games we would play with each other. And I think about him a lot. Um, I try not to Facebook stalk, you know, to see what's going on. And with all the placements, I've always given them my contact info in case they have a question with anything like with their care, what happens with this. It's rare that I get a response, but I'm always like, okay, at least I know I'm doing my part to help try to maintain that relationship. I feel like that would be important because if they ever want to reach out to you to, you know, continue that relationship, like when they're older or things like that, I feel like that's, I don't know. I just feel like that would be important Mm -hmm. to me as a kid. You know, when you had that transition period between them being a placement and then being your full-time kids, like they're Mm -hmm. moving in, they're (laughs) kids, they're not going anywhere. What was that like? And what was that conversation that you had with them? I just am so curious since you tell them, Mm -hmm. You know, from the beginning, you're trying to get them back to their families. And then now at that point, they're like, you're staying here. You go, you're going nowhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they were too young. My daughter was eight months and then my son was two. But he he hadn't seen bio family in a long, long time. Yeah. So I know and he never mentioned them. I think we were lucky that it was easy yeah. for us in that aspect. I know it's more difficult for friends who are older or who adopt older kids 
friend of mine, uh, she adopted a girl when she was eight. And right after the adoption, we call it big feelings in TBRI. And she had to reassure her daughter, you know, it's okay to have big feelings about your adoption. That's, that's okay. You're not hurting my feelings. If you are sad, you're no longer with your, yeah. your first family. So with the older kids from other friends who've gone through that, they just have to reassure them that it's okay. If it's a safe situation, we allow contact, you know, with the, the bio family, if mm-hmm. we have contact with them, my son, my oldest has a relationship with um, a sibling. Okay. So we've been able to maintain that. So that has been good. And we are also very honest as they've gotten older to answer questions that they may have had about it. We were for a long time trying to figure out how to tell them they were adopted. You know, yeah. how do you have this conversation with a two-year-old, with yeah. a three-year-old? <laughs> when they were in pre-K, I think it was my daughter's teacher was pregnant. And one of them mentioned, oh, was I in your belly too, mom? And I'm like, no, you were actually in your first mom's belly. And that's what started the conversation. Yeah. And it's it's weird how they were randomly bring it up. Uh-huh. Like we, my son and, and my, my oldest and my husband can be talking basketball. And then he'll go, hey, dad, what about blah, 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 blah. What do you know about <laughs> you know, my family. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's weird when it, cause they will catch you off guard because yeah. you're not just like, what led to this? What made you think of this? But here's your answer. And we try to be honest with them so they can make the decision when they get older, if they want to try to contact their family, their first family or not, how to handle it. Eventually I know to tackle those situations that if they do want to, this is what to expect, at least right. what we know with your family going through the court system and things. With our youngest, we adopted him in 2019. He was maybe six, seven months old. His situation was different. So we knew very, very early on that he was going to be ours to adopt. But we still kind of kept that from the kids. And I've never, with all three of my adoptions, I do not relax until the judge has signed mm-hmm. the papers yeah. and gone through it. Because I'm just always scared a relative will come out that DCFS did not find or something will happen and they can be gone. So I was still a nervous wreck um, until we had the the court date and I have the adoption decree in my hand. Okay, that's when I can finally excel because this child is mine. They're staying, they're staying with us where we are officially their parents. Yeah. A couple of questions come to mind when you had just said that the process from fostering to adoption, is that a lengthy process as well? And then also, do they have your last name now? They have our last name. If they were older, we would have given them the option mm-hmm. uh, because I know families who, who asked their child if they wanted to keep their name or get their, their new parents' names. When you become certified in Louisiana, you're automatically certified for both foster care and to adopt. Some families do this, again, for the goal of adoption. Some do this because they know they just want to foster. They may have no desire to adopt kids. Again, this is all pre-COVID. I know COVID has changed a lot of things, Mm -hmm. the way the court systems work. But generally, parents, foster parents are told and parents that you have a year. Mm -hmm. Usually it's a year if they are new to the system. It may be a different timetable if the parents have had other allegations against them. It may be a shorter time frame. But generally it's a year and it can vary from judge to judge. Some judges are like, oh, we'll give you another six months and it can be two or three years that the child is in care before they go back or they are finally adopted. A child is required to be in your care at least six months 
before you can adopt. But if you've already been fostering them, you likely have already had them the six Mm -hmm. months. Mm -hmm. So once the case and the judge has approved it to move to adoption, it's more so just a waiting process for paperwork to get filed. DCFS, you get transitioned to an adoption worker from the foster care worker. So now you have a different worker you're working with. That person has to contact an attorney. The attorneys work for free. Um, they get paid most likely from DCFS. That's what I assume. They get paid through DCFS because we don't pay anything for them. And that attorney is the one who meets with you, explains the process. You go through the paperwork that she's created before she submits it. She submits it depending on the parish that it's submitted to. You may have an adoption day in two weeks or it may be a month just depending on what's going on. And that person and the the adoption worker to an extent walk you through what's happening next, just to make sure you're prepared. You'd have to, like we had to submit our marriage certificate to the court. Mm -hmm. So thankfully we knew the clerk of court where we got married in North Louisiana when we first adopted. We're like, hey, can you do us a favor? We'll pay you. Can you get us a couple copies of our marriage license? It was just something that we never have had. Yeah. So yeah, so then you just just go to court. It's a happy day. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, we've been involved in other adoptions that friends have had since we've been through the process. So I've been there a few times with other families. We were just there with a coworker who became a friend and we helped her a lot with her. She's a single parent who adopted a 10 year old, the girl's 10 now, but she adopted her in October. So we were happy. She asked yeah. us to, to be there and it was nice and I always get emotional. Like, oh, this is such, you know, happy times. Yeah. And then just me remembering my emotions from the, our previous adoption days. Yeah. I can imagine that's such mm-hmm. a cool experience. I mean, I feel like that's it's very nerve wracking at the same time. So it's like you're on <laughs> you're on edge, but you're also excited. I'm so curious about you said the six months thing. And I'm thinking about sports industry. And I'm thinking if people are interested in fostering. And then of course, like you've been blessed of not having to move, you know, in the past 10 years. But if someone were to foster, and then maybe they didn't know or their husband ends up moving somewhere, what does that look like? Um, I think it would depend on how where you are in the process. Like if it's going towards adoption, then you may just have to stay Mm -hmm. for a little while longer with our single parent friend who I just mentioned. She was at the point where she's like, okay, I think I'm ready to to job search, but she's like, I can't until I see this out for her. She's also in sports. She's on the athletic administration side. Her adoption was finalized in October and actually they just moved today because she got a job, New York state at a university there. But again, so she had to put that on hold. I do think that if someone is in the coaching industry, if it's um, a situation where either you're married to the head coach or with the assistant, if you're the boss is, has a multi-year contract, then get started ASAP yeah, <laughs> with this, yeah. this process. If you're in a situation where if you haven't had much success, and there's a lot of pressure and things aren't working out, this may not be a time to mm-hmm. start it because you know how the sports industry is. There's always that risk at the end of the season, particularly if you haven't done that well, that is something going to happen. If like, if that's your situation, I would honestly suggest holding off. Yeah. So you, you know, what's going to happen because I'd hate for you to go through the process and then get a placement two months later, you know, you have to move. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that that's great advice, though, because to me, it sounds like it is definitely possible in the sports industry. You just need to evaluate your situation with the length of time that you think you're going to stay and be somewhere. And we just appreciate you coming on and sharing all of this. I've learned so much by this conversation. (laughs) Yes. And we just appreciate you sharing your heart and just loving those kids because it takes a special person to do that. So thank you for being you and being here. And we always ask this last question on all of our interviews and so if you could go back in time and tell your younger self one thing it could be with the whole process with foster care or with the sports industry what would you tell your younger self to help yourself today I would tell myself it's okay to ask for help Mm -hmm. and that applies to both being a coaching wife and a parent and a foster parent it's okay to ask for help it's okay to accept help Mm-hmm. because I stupidly <laughs> turned down like meal trains yeah. when we've had a placement I'm like, Oh no, I've got it. And then I'm stressed out in the kitchen cooking and handling this new placement. And I'm like, why didn't you say yes? It's okay yeah. to say yeah. yes to receive, receive that help because people are, it's coming from a good place that they're offering to help you, whether yeah. it's big or small. And I say that too, to people who want to help children and families in care. Um, you don't have to be a foster parent, find a local organization that's doing things and you can volunteer your time. Or if you have financial resources, you can volunteer those financial resources as well to help those organizations serve those families. In general, we're always in the sports industry. We feel like we can handle it because we are a lot of us independent people and independent women. Mm -hmm. And so we feel like, you know, we got this, but you're totally right. Sometimes it is okay to accept help from others. So we loved having you on and I will put all of your information in the show notes. So if anyone has any questions about foster fostering or maybe about the basketball industry they can reach out to you to ask any questions that they might have but thank you again for joining us we appreciate it all right you're welcome thank you for having me it was a pleasure yes and thank you to everyone that's listening and we'll see you next time bye thank you so much for listening to this episode on more than a season podcast you can follow us on instagram at more than a season podcast for the latest updates if you've enjoyed this episode please download subscribe or leave us a review on your choice of platform see you next time thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.